an amazing song. We have asked you, and I believe in all the honesty of our souls, we've asked you to begin a revival and to start with me. And Lord, there is no place that we have found throughout your Bible or as we've studied history of your family on earth where you did not begin with one individual. And so, Lord, all of us corporately, but also individually this evening, have sung those words. And Lord, we don't fully understand the meaning of what that would entail, should you take us at our word. But Lord, we do desire that you, O God, be King, Savior, Lord, and the Almighty in our lives. And so we worship you and we ask you very simply this evening that you capture our minds, our hearts, our very person. And as you do that, might you open your word to us. And may your Holy Spirit, the one of whom we are speaking this evening, come and do what only you, God, can do. Communicate to us on that level where we hear in that sense you speaking. And so we worship you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. This evening, um, we want to continue in our sermon series on the um, eighth chapter of Romans. In some ways, I think this is one of the main chapters of the whole Bible. And of course, today, kind of a double blessing or a double whammy, whatever one would use the word whammy in Swiss. No. There must be an equal or somewhat similar concept. I always found it was very interesting. There are words that you can translate literally. And then the mission organization I was with first, we every year we had uh, training conferences for young adults who came. And all of the messages were given in English and then from the front translated into German and in a variety of different languages. And I noticed there were some translators that could do it word for word. And then there were others who could do it meaning for meaning. And uh, so there must be a meaning to that type of word. But the, what I'm trying to express very simply is, is that this is the date or the day that we celebrate in church where God literally, it says, poured out. It is as if the gates and the portals of heaven opened the very presence of God himself. And, and, and he, he poured his Holy Spirit. Can you imagine God pouring out and God's spirit came because the Lord Jesus before he died said to his disciples it is good that I go because if I go then God will send God the Holy Spirit who will dwell in you he will lead you he will guide you and uh, so that was the day when what we would call the beginning of church in this way as you read in the Old Testament you will find very frequently that God's Spirit comes upon, say, a prophet or a man of person of God, and they do something, speak something, or what happens? 
but it is uniquely here after the death and resurrection of Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty for all who repent and turn to him. At that moment, God pours out his spirit to come and live in us in a manner that is totally different than what history had. And one of the things we found as reading through the first verses of chapter 8 is that those who have the Spirit are of God, and those who do not, do not belong to Him. Very strong wordage. And therefore, as we go through this, this is chapter 8 is kind of like that, how we then therefore live, and what we should expect when God's Spirit comes in us. Part of the whole process of becoming Christian, not just in name, but Christian within one's soul, is that moment when we acknowledge and understand as God's Spirit works in us that Jesus took our place on the cross, that we were guilty, we were lost. And as we begin to understand that, and when we trust God, we cry out to God, forgive me, and Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but because you have offered that, and to repent means we're headed, of course, one way. I, I've almost stopped doing this because I see so many people copying it, but hey, <laughs> I haven't patented it yet, but instead of going this way, we turn 180 degrees, that's literally part of the translation of to repent, or the interpretation or the definition, and we go towards God. Often in Christianity, 21st century, we have forgotten the part about letting go here and going this direction. We have tended to think that Christianity is be a nice person, do everything right, cross your T's, dot your I's, and just walk down the middle. What Paul will say in this chapter is, Basically, in Christianity, there is no nice middle. Either one is here, totally committed, God's Spirit living in us, or He will identify us as being here. And so in this, he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's one of the great things. Now, um, the first verses were about God filling us, God's Spirit living in us, and these verses from 12 to 17, this next paragraph, are more what we can expect to experience or to uh, have God's Spirit do within us as He is living in us. And He's going to identify four things as we go along. One is, by the power of the Spirit, God living in us, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh or evil. The flesh, last week we defined that, what it means in these chapters, if you go back to chapter 6 and chapter 7, he will carefully describe that flesh literally means anything outside of the control of God. Because Paul makes a big thing about either we are under the control of God or the under the control as he, or the New International translated, under the control of humanity, even the very best of us. But he is saying here, so first he will help us put to death those things. That's a very strong statement. Secondly, he will say that the Spirit of God leads us. 
Thirdly, he's going to say that the Spirit of God coming into us enables us as men and women, as sons and daughters of God, to cry out to God, Abba, Father. This relationship of God's family and he being our Father. And then fourthly, it says that the Spirit will tell us or witness to us, explain to us, help us understand what it means to be a child of God, a son or daughter of God, and how that means that we have an inheritance. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So let's look at that. Now, in verse 12, as it begins, it says, Brothers, we are debtors, or we have obligations. And then he goes on and says, Now, not to the flesh. Remember the previous verses we talked about being set free. And the Bible in that sense is not saying you're free to go do whatever one wants. What it is saying is we're set free from the control of sin and we are being set free to choose to serve God. And here it says we are no longer under the being in debt to the flesh. Being in debt is an interesting thing. Now, all of you, well, most of us, are too young to be in debt, aren't we? Hmm, I see. Some of you probably have a credit card. I remember, uh, actually, the church that we were at before we came here, when we went there, it had been started five years prior to that. And during those five years, they had bought a building in the center of the town, and, uh, but anyway, unbeknownst to us as we came, they still owed more on that building than when they bought it five years later. Anyway, uh, what happened was, as I was praying and I said, oh God, what are we going to do? And I remember walking back and forth in front of the church saying, oh God, we're trapped here. Can we buy the bar next door and push out the walls? Can we do this? Literally, that's what I was saying. And um, I remember I used that word, God, I'm trapped here. And can't you do something before Christmas? A week before Christmas, a man walked into my office and laid down in cash over six digits of cash. And he said, can you use this for anything? It was just about 5000 above the mortgage. And I said, well, we could, but I can't take cash, so if you could give me a bank transfer, that will work. <laughs> and which they did. But the reason I tell you this story is not because of getting it in, but do you know what happened? We paid off, in, in, in America sometimes if you have a mortgage, you go through this ceremony of burning it. If you've never been to one, it's a marvelous thing. But what happened was, all of a sudden, the church who was thinking, we can't, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, we, got, we can't get out of here, all of a sudden they said, that's gone. What do we do now? How do we reach out here? How can we send more missionaries? How can we make it bigger? How can we do for children? How can we do it for youth? What about the young families in our areas? You see, what happened is their whole, their whole perspective on life changed once they were no longer in debt. And what we are saying is what God is saying here, I believe, as he's inspired um, Paul, or as Paul is writing this, inspired under the Spirit, is he's saying we do have an obligation, but that is not to the flesh, because that is no longer in control. 
In Colossians chapter 1 it says, And you who were under the dominion of darkness. Those are strong words. Owned by evil. Controlled by evil. He says, Now he has transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. We started here and now we're in his kingdom. And he says, Now, he says, we have no more debt here. We do have a responsibility to God. But then look what he says next. And for you who live according to the flesh, you will die. Very strong language. He says, if we stay here, if we stay under the control of what's outside of the control of God, that leads to death. But here, it leads to life. But then look what he says. But you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As I've been thinking about these verses, I really believe that this verse is specifically for 2022. In the last decade, less and less of church is teaching us that there is a part of Christianity where you've got to put to death the stuff that's not of God. We have tended to believe Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if he loves me, it's okay. And that is true. It's one of the deepest truths of the Bible. But the other side of it is God's Spirit lives within us. The expectation we need to have and the experience that God wants to lead us to, if there is stuff in our life that is outside of the control of God, God's Spirit will identify it, and then what he will help us do is he will help us kill it. is through the power of the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I had to use this verse this afternoon. I was sitting on our balcony having a cup of tea before coming, and all of a sudden I started thinking about a person who I have struggles with. And you know what happened? In my mind, I went here, and I went there, and I went there, and all of a sudden, this verse convicted me. And all of a sudden, I said, oh, yes, Lord, Spirit, take it away. The Spirit said, no, Dennis. It says, you, by the power of the Spirit, shut it off. And that might be also so simply as what we watch on TV, what, we, what website we go to, what practice in life we have allowed to enter that we know as God's Spirit speaks to us, we need to shut it off. This is throughout the New Testament. Put off the flesh. Put on the Spirit of God. Crucify the old man. Rise with Christ. Christianity is somewhat radical with what God is asking us to do. And so that, let me just ask before I move to the next thing that it says here. Is anybody here tonight where you hear a new experience within your heart, soul, mind, the Spirit of God may be identifying this needs to be dealt with. This cannot continue if you're going to walk and follow me. You see, Paul writes, this is part of the work of God's Spirit in us. And I would just say if it happens, hey, that doesn't mean because God's Spirit's in us we're perfect. We do fall. We have problems, but this is part of the working of God to help us face that and move on. 
Now, then he goes on in the next verses, and he says, by the Spirit you put to death, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So this is the second thing the Spirit will do. The Spirit will lead us. And as I was thinking about this, oh my, I can tell some missionary stories now, you know, about God led us here, and yes, God led us there, and oh, there's some marvelous ones. Afterwards in coffee, I'll tell you a few of those. Because the more I thought about it, I realized, well, you could take then Paul's life, and there's this moment when God says, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit, it says, spoke, and said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas, I'm going to send them out. And so he, Paul knew that. There's other times in the Bible where it says to Philip, Philip, rise up. And he says, run to that chariot. And he runs to the chariot. And the man is reading from the book of Isaiah. And as he reads out loud, Philip steps up into the chariot and explains to him Jesus. There are other points where the Spirit says no to Paul. Paul says, I want to go here and to that city. And the Spirit appears to him and says, no. And he says, okay, if I can't go there, I'll go here. And the Spirit says, no. And then a third time in Acts chapter 16, he says, I'll go there. And he says, no. And then finally, in a vision, the Spirit says, come to Macedonia. The Spirit leads. But in this specific case, it is not only that. And that is one of the great things about the leading of God's Spirit. And sometimes we don't get it totally right as people following God. I told you my story about how I stayed in missions, thinking I was going to be there for two months, ended up for five years before I went back for a break. And it was, I just said, God, if you do this, giving three prayer requests, I'll do this. And God did that. I, to today, cannot believe that God Almighty did what I asked him to do, simply because he's God. The leading of God's spirit is very real. But in this one, look what it shows. That is not only what it is talking about here. He says, I want you to understand as many who are led by the spirit of God are God's sons. And then listen, what the spirit wants to show us are these specific things. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. In other words, we want you to understand what kind of spirit of God is in us. And what he's saying is, first and foremost, it's not a spirit to take us back into slavery and fear. I need to go on, but I think at the moment I need to pause here. Would you take a millisecond to just cautiously look into your own soul? And do you understand the differences that the Word of God is pointing out to us? He says, you have not received this type of spirit. But what you have is that the Spirit of God has come into your heart. It's a spirit of adoption, of sonship. Do you serve God because He's your Father? Or because I don't know what else I can do. Has belief become a set of rules and regulations? Or is it a relationship with God, our Father? And anyway, he goes on from that and he says very simply to him, 
to us as he writes these, you have received, not that, but you've received the spirit of adoptions as sons. This idea is central, and these verses are somewhat repeated in Galatians chapter 4. Let me just read some of that to you. It says in Galatians chapter 4, starting with verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his Spirit of his Son into our hearts, saying the same words, crying, Abba, Father. What he's saying here is we have been adopted. Adoption is a legal status. And what he is declaring to us here is the God of heaven, the creator, the redeemer, the final judge in his courtroom. You and I, all of us, we who have come into this relationship with him, what he has done is he's taken all of our guilt and he has placed it, as I said, upon his son that the God who is holy, the God who is love, total righteousness, could declare us no longer guilty. And part of that is his forgiveness and bringing us into his family. He adopts us into his family. The great thing about that is that means that legally evil has no more hold on us. He sometimes uses the word redeem, means to buy back or to pay for us. Anyway, but then he says here, you are adopted as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit reveals to us that we are children, sons and daughters of God. God is our Father. But what the emphasis upon here is, very simply, is that we cry out, Father, Abba. Now, if you read the commentaries, they, there are books written on these two names. And of course, one, I think, is in uh, Aramaic, the Baba part of it. That literally means Dada in English. And of course, Father being more on a Greek background, Patre. But, so some say, well, then he identifies here with both people groups. That could be it. Another commentary I read reading said, well, actually, the word Abba, the Jewish or Hebrews at that time limited that. The only persons who could actually use that term were no servants in their, in their household, only the actual born children. And that would fit into this. You can cry to God because he's your father, he's your dada. But what it says here is as the Spirit of God enters us, what it says, we cry out. So what the Spirit of God is going to be doing for us is showing us that God is our Father. And showing us again and again that He is that, that we can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That He loves us. But in Galatians, Paul changes a bit and he says, and the Spirit comes crying out, Abba, Father. Both are true. But you see, 
what I think Galatians tells us is that God is so very much desiring to be your father that when you turn and you come, he comes. Remember the parable Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son and the father in that. When he sees his son returning, he runs and he grabs and he hugs him and he loves him and he restores him into his family. The very picture of what God the Father. Can you imagine God the Father getting excited that you repent? Yeah! Son, daughter, I'm your father! Wow. Well, it says, when a sinner repents, heaven explodes. Well, explodes is my additive, additive adjectives, but it, it rejoices. It's thrilled to death. Can you imagine that? God getting excited to be your father? I, I do remember Lois and I went through a bit of a struggle. I think it was in child number three. Um, with what name they would use first, would they use the name Dada or Mama? And that one I won. <laughs> of course, it's, it's simpler to say Dada in English than is Mama. But do you know what that makes you feel like? Those of you who have not reached that place in life yet, to have someone come and say, Dada, Dada, Father, is an incredible thing. And what the Bible is telling us is God desires that. He desires that relationship with us. And yet, then the Spirit of God enables us to understand that He is our Father. Second point. Do you know that God is your father? How is your relationship with God? Are you able to cry out to him, Abba or Father? If you come from a situation where you have a very good human father, it's very helpful. If you come from a situation in life where your human father was not present or it's a difficult relationship, that idea of coming to God and crying out, Abba, Father, is one of the greatest challenges you'll ever make. My wife was an absolute compliment for me. My father died when I was in teenage years. And I remember thinking, I'll never love anybody because two weeks before, my best friend had flipped a tractor on top of himself. He was gone. And then my father, I walked in, and anyway, he died quickly. And I remember thinking, I don't want to love them because they go. And there was a time after we were married, I remember my wife has a wonderful concept of God as Father. And I remember I was complaining to her, I said, we're praying for this, but what if God does this, or what if God does that? And I remember, you need a wife like this, fellows, if you're not married yet. She kind of took her, she's got this, you need to understand, son, movement. And she looked me in the eye and she said to me, and I'll never forget, God is not like that. Because her concept of God as Father was so rich and deep. And mine was faulty. But the, what the Spirit says is, He is going to come and live in us and teach us that God is our Father. And we can trust Him, love Him, and He loves us. And then finally, it goes on and says, and the Spirit himself will show us or bear witness to what it means to be the children of God. He will teach us what it means to be forgiven, to be accepted, 
to be part of God's family. And then finally he says, and if we are children, we are also heirs of God. And an amazing thing, Christianity, what you get beyond everything else is God. There are many illustrations of that, of course, in the Bible, but just tonight, for our own, he says you are part or you get an inheritance from God. Right, let me read these verses to you in Ephesians where he talks a little bit about that. He says, from the very beginning, it says God has chosen us. The Spirit of God will show that God says, I want you. And then he goes on, he says that we are according to the purpose of his will. God has planned for us. God has thought. He has purpose for us. The Spirit will show us that. We are blessed in the beloved. We are accepted by God. And then he says that we are, will know Christ. And he says that in there, he says, we have obtained an inheritance. And then finally he says, and he puts his Spirit in us as a guarantee. I talked to you a couple of weeks ago about how that literally means the engagement ring. Have you ever seen a person with a new engagement ring? Yeah? I'm not looking over there. You see, you wouldn't have an engagement ring if there wasn't the husband-to-be, would you? And what God is saying is, I put my Holy Spirit in you as an affirmation that what I have promised about eternity is true and it will happen. And ultimately, we get God. If you are satisfied with that inheritance, God, you will never regret what you do in life. If you need God plus, there's going to come a moment in life when God will speak to us about that very thing. And then finally it says, we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, when he goes into his kingdom, we go with him. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters because we have the same father. So let me just close with this. Are you aware of God's spirit in you? He said that is the common denominator for all of those who belong to God. If God's Spirit is in you, He's going to be showing you the things which you need to literally kill, get rid of. If God's Spirit is in you, He's going to be leading you. What He will lead you to is to understand more and more what it means to have God as Father, Abba, Father, and then also what it means to be a child of God who has an inheritance from God and also serves with Christ. Those are what we can expect as God's Spirit lives in us. So let's just pray together. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here this evening and to think together about your word. And you know, Lord, this all comes down to this very truth that you have said that to as many as received him, he gave them the right 
to become the sons of God. You promised that adoption. And Lord, we know that we were not adopted because we were good or from our background or the gifts or the talents, nor even the problems. But Lord, we were adopted into your kingdom because you loved us and you sought us out and you chose us. And we thank you, Lord, that you have removed all guilt from us. And I pray for each person who is here this evening that they would just be aware of that. And Lord, might we learn even more how to call you Abba, Father, and how to worship you. And may we be aware of the fact that you are our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.